When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is by grasping a hold of those opportunities that we begin the process of pulling ourselves forward to a better time and place on the other side of the event. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome everyone. I am thrilled to be able to bring you our guest today. I think you're going to just love hearing from David Giersdorf as much as I have enjoyed reading his book and even our our pre-show conversation. So David's an innovative entrepreneur. He's got extensive C-suite experience as a former senior executive in the global cruise, travel, and marketing services industry, including uh, serving as CEO of several iconic cruise travel and marketing service companies. So you can imagine what those industries have been through and some of the experiences David's uh, going to be able to share with us today. He's the founder of Global Voyage, uh, excuse me, Global Voyages Group, which helps owners, boards, CEOs, and leadership teams of diverse companies and organizations on topics ranging from navigating disruption and recovery growth, innovation, performance, and mergers and acquisitions. And most pertinent for us today, He's also the author of Hardships. Oh, what a fun name. I love that's two words, Hardships, navigating your company, career, and life through the fog of disruption. And in the book, he gets into his four decades of experience navigating major disruptions to achieve innovation and growth. David, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Uh, thank you, David. I've been looking forward to this uh, conversation and uh, certainly uh the, your audience and the topics on which they're focused on regarding leadership uh, is uh, right in my wheelhouse. I feel right at home, and I'm really looking forward to spending some time together. Well, I know it is. And, and as I said in that introduction, I, I was so intrigued to see your work and, uh, and your approach to, to leading and, and navigating through the fog of disruption and so many different angles that you take on it. So I know you're going to be able to equip us with with some of those tools today. But before we dive into dealing with the fog of disruption, I want to start by asking you, just so we get to know you a little bit, if you can take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader, what might that be? Ah, that's interesting. My uh, earliest role as a leader, my earliest memory as a leader, really is in uh, my family business. I was thrust into, uh, born into the global uh, travel industry. My father was quite an entrepreneur, single parent, uh, kind of a unique setting. And it was all hands on deck when my dad left his airline career and launched a fledgling Alaska tourism company, which became quite a uh, extensive business with cruise ships and uh, national park concessions and many other unique experiences. Uh, So um, we grew quickly. It was a total immersive lifestyle, building and running a business. And I was ill-equipped to lead, uh, you know, uh, people. We were a a hands-on, get-it-done culture and environment. 
and that's fine to a to a certain level. But beyond that, leading, communicating, inspiring. You know, those were lessons I had to learn later in my career. So I would say I was I was a great uh, and committed hard worker, and I drank the Kool Aid, and you know, and, and uh, really uh, did amazing things to help build a family business. But um, as a leader, I really was more of a um, uh, yeah, you know less empathetic, more of a do like me instead of recognizing the value that so many other skills and people and mindsets and approaches could bring to the total solution. So that uh, I would say is kind of an early memory. I was good at doing, but I lacked a lot in uh, the leading arena. Absolutely. Well, and we all have to start somewhere, don't you? Yeah. And you Indeed. Know, yeah, but we learn. We learn and we grow. And if you didn't start there, you wouldn't have added to it. So that's the that's the journey. Well, you obviously have added a lot of all of those leadership skills and and influence skills in the course of your career. And uh, and so I'm excited to dive into your book here. So hardships navigating your career, industry, and life through the fog of disruption. And you know, I want to start with this notion of fog and disruption because I think those are words that, at an emotional level, we can all relate to. But what do you mean when we're talking about you know fog and disruption when it comes to you know a, a company or your career or your life? I think we're we're very good at uh, in um, good times when things are going smoothly at uh, seeing a clear path ahead energizing, driving forward, uh, envisioning. But when we get disrupted, those ideas and where we thought we were going, where we wanted to be is so strong in our head. Those, it's so clear that it's very hard to accept that circumstances have changed. It's hard to set aside where we were going and ask that simple question, where am I now? That to me is fog. Things have changed. The signals are different. My normal metrics, my normal methods aren't working. They're not relevant at the moment. Uh, that's fog. What, to, what do I do next? I can so relate with the fog imagery. Even recently, I was in Omaha uh, just last week traveling for work and getting up to go to the airport, heavy, dense fog. And so even with the normal navigation and all the things that we have in, in cars today, it still felt so challenging to, you couldn't see the street signs and you really had to, to yeah. take a pause and, and look around and figure it out. So that disruption, when things don't go the way we're expecting, that's what it boils down to. Things don't go the way we're expecting and gosh, what do I do now? You know, the circumstance you just described, I will, um, say with certainty, you also um, experience anxiety. Absolutely. Discomfort and fear if, of not being able to see as clearly or navigate as clearly uh, and the like. So clear all uh, um, fear or that anxiety that is a natural response uh, also fogs our thinking. We forget what we know. We forget to do certain things. We, we, you know, we just become frozen in some cases and unable to act. So, uh, welcome yeah. to our biology, huh? Indeed. 
All right. Well, I know that you have, you know, these decades of wisdom to help us navigate that. And you, as you, you know, we were talking about pre-show, you were talking about how you wrote hardships to really codify that experience and, and how you think and how you go about working through these and how you've led organizations through some pretty challenging times. So I'd love to dive in here and, and learn a little bit of, more about these skills that we can use to do the same thing in our life. Uh, why don't you walk us through at a, at a treetop level? You've got six practices that or six principles that you recommend that we use to navigate. So walk us through those and then we'll take a deeper dive. I love it. Uh, let me set that up first. I've um, been known as the calm in the storm time and time again. I've developed an ability to set aside for a moment the fear, the uncertainty, you know, and seek the truth and the path. And, you know, uh, the path unfolds in steps, not always in one clear uh, vision as well. But I, I would say this, some key lessons. One, um, with disruption, no matter the severity, always, in my experience, come new opportunities. And it's critical that in the midst of dealing with a disrupted circumstance that we take time to raise up our eyes and look around the corner, I call it, to see what's emerging in terms of those opportunities. Because I will tell you, it is by grasping a hold of those opportunities that we begin the process, identifying them and grasping them, we begin the process of pulling ourselves forward to a better time and place on the other side of the event. So that's a, that's a lesson. There is opportunity. Look for it. Grab onto it. Uh, secondly, I'd say that there are two big themes in a disruption that can help you uh, in terms of context. One big theme is uh, radical innovation. The, the, the more impactful the disruption, the more... Um, uh, radical and um, enormous, the innovation that offsets it. That's how we deal with <laughs> disruption actions. We innovate the, uh, our, you know, the heck out of it. Uh, we see it in health sciences today with COVID. We see it all, you know, everywhere you look, innovation is accelerated. It accelerates in response to disruption. Embrace radical innovation within your life and within your organization and your team and uh, recognize it as the accelerant to the next normal. You'll get to the next normal faster by embracing radical innovation. The other big theme that I've learned is deep codependency. We're all in this together. We're only going to get out of it all together. Uh, recognizing that, having empathy, breaking down silos, better communication and transparency opens up what I call uh, the opportunity for relationship capital. Relationship capital is a form of capital. You might not have the cash, you, you, you know, but it's a very tangible form of capital. You can accomplish amazing things when you partner together with others and find creative solutions. So I like relationship capital. Uh, so David, I'm, I'm curious before we, we go on with the, the stage setting here, uh, that, that principle that there is always opportunity and disruption. 
is I think intellectually we can all go, especially if we're sitting here listening or, you know, doing some exercise, listening to this podcast or you know, what have you say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always that, that opportunity in disruption. And I'm curious if, and, and maybe that's what, what you were getting at with the radical innovation, the deep codependency. If I find myself in the middle of that disruption and I'm sitting here listening, going, okay, yeah, I hear you. But gosh, I feel a little frozen. How do I find the opportunity? How can I look around the corners? Are there specific tactics or ways that you recommend that leaders can do that to start to find some of those opportunities? Absolutely. You know, um, I keep a um, wide aperture in terms of my perspective, uh, especially in a disruption. What are my competitors experiencing and doing? What is happening in my core market? Maybe it's a B2B market or maybe it's a B2C. My core market segments, what's happening with them? How are they thinking? How are they behaving? Are there early signals here? What about adjacent industries to mine that maybe got disrupted harder or sooner than my industry did? And how are they adapting? What's emerging over there? So the first thing I would say is instead of um, going... um, um, internal <laughs> and, you know, and, and deeper within your own situation, um, that's important, but um, uh, discipline yourself to open up the aperture, keep your eyes, ears open, talk to more people, read more things, uh, look for that. That's how you'll see it. Um, and it's, you're going to have to connect dots. There's no one solution. No one's going to hand you the solution. You know, you have to be a creative thinker a critical thinker, look, where are those dots? How can you connect them in a way that makes sense for your unique situation? You know, we've done so many shows around culture and values and knowing what's important for you as a leader in your organization and, and on. And so if you've got really grounded in that and you know your identity and you know what matters most to you and to your organization, and then in these times, you can start looking around and, and making, and that helps with the connecting the dots of saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to early pandemic when all of, I don't know about you, but all of our in-person work shut down for about six weeks. And then when it came back, it was all online. And we'd done a little bit of online, but it was a significant transition to deliver for us the level of quality that we wanted to provide and the interactivity and and uh, stick-to-itiveness for adult learning and all that. And yeah, looking at what other people were doing and learning all that and, and then putting it together in a way that worked for us. And it's it's been a great opportunity for us. And um, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, in the cruise industry, imagine this, a, a uh, $45 billion a year, you know, industry radiating outward year after year through new capacity, the, the energy of new ships, new markets opening, more customers coming back, more people giving word of mouth, just this, this momentum of uh, growth and performance. And then take that and pull it into a tiny little ball, full stop in, the, in a period of about 30 days. $45 billion down to zero. I can't even imagine. Hundreds of ships parked, billions of dollars, you know, customers disrupted, employees um, scattered around the world, stuck on ships and different protocols trying to get them home to their home countries. Uh, just uh, quite amazing thing. And, and 
when the way you connect with your customer is physically delivering an experience, then how do you, what happens next? Well, the cruise lines and other travel companies did a wonderful job of shifting the experience and the relationship online. Virtual experiences, um, launching channels, Viking did a wonderful job, Norwegian Cruise Line did a wonderful job, engaging in different ways with the customer. We all know we will cruise again, but in the meantime, let's keep the dream alive, okay? Um, publishing um, departures uh, and, and uh, products multi-years into the future so that people could dream beyond the pandemic and still make plans mm. and still have bucket lists. Amazing um, set of, um, of um, you know, responses um, to the uh, situation. So that's at an industry level. We've been talking about finding those opportunities in the middle of disruption. What if we take it down to the level of life or career? So more at an individual, I'm an individual leader uh, and you know, there's, there's disruption and things within my organization are not what I had planned. And I, you know, I knew my goals and I knew what was going on. And, and now there's been some significant shifts. Where do I look at that point? If I'm not necessarily able to look outside to other organizations, maybe I am, but any suggestions there in terms of how we go about finding those opportunities? You know, I, I've talked to a lot of folks who've been, had their life and their career upended, you know, by, by these events and events in the past. And I always start with um, know your core value and passion reconnect with that. A lot of times when we're up and running and busy doing what we love doing, we, you know, we kind of put that in, we don't revisit those questions as often as we might. So the first thing is, you know, where are you at right now? What is your value? What would you like to contribute to the world and, and through your life and through your work? And uh, be clear about that. Once you're clear about that, Exercise some discipline and patience, right? Sometimes you're best to uh, accept that the situation has changed, that you're frustrated, you can't do the things you were wanting to do or that you were doing at the moment, but have some faith, you know, it, do the right things, help your organization, yourself get through this and, re and, and pick up on those things again down the line. You have that luxury, you know, put it off a little bit in the future, um, have some discipline, have some patience. It's, it, that's something. And the other thing I say is add value to yourself, just as where do you see the trends happening? Where do you see business going? How do you use this time to retool? If not retool, at least uh, sharpen, you know, the point of, of your skill sets. Um, demonstrate to others that your eye is on the future, that you're continuing to build value, even when you're, you know, um, uh, in a uh, in a less than ideal situation. I tell people show up at meetings, whether it's online or otherwise, professionally, ready to go, you know, high energy, clear mind, inquisitive, connected. Don't show up. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, I'm exhausted. Oh, I'm so tired of looking at myself on Zoom. No, you know, be that beacon 
that uh, others, uh, you know, latch onto. And by acting in that manner, you, you'll do yourself a lot of good. Absolutely. And if you haven't found the hide self view in Zoom yet, know that that option is also there. You don't have to look at yourself. Yeah, so true. You can just look at your colleagues. You know, the 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 adding to your skill set and the the looking ahead, it goes back to what you're saying about having that broad aperture uh, and keeping the perspective wide, particularly disruption, say, okay, so yeah, things are changing. So anticipating what might be happening and what skills might I want in six months or a year yeah. or 18 months and and taking advantage of that uh, because that will help you be effective in ways that others who don't do that aren't going to experience. You know, I, I did a risk assessment for myself some time ago. I'm aging. I have some gray hairs. Now, my experience, my my physical energy, which I've maintained because of my endurance athlete status and the, and the like, it's been good, and I have a long ways to go, and and uh, a lot, uh, an amazing amount to contribute. Um, however, um, I the rate of change is amazing. The impact of technology cannot be ignored. So I made a determination years ago that um, I would stay current with technological change. I would stay informed and current and connected. That's the reason you'll see in my profile that I'm an advisor and an investor in a venture capital firm. It allows me to see and be exposed to some of the best young thinking and forward trends out there. It keeps me youthful in my perspective. And um, these gray hairs are useful to those ever younger entrepreneurs who know their tech, but they don't know business and how to execute and scale. There's uh, opportunities so, yeah. both ways. So, so that's an example for me, but everyone has an example like that where there's something proactively, if they do a, an assessment of them, themselves and where they see the future going, that they can uh, take some action. Nice. Well, David, this is not directly related to leadership or, or maybe it is related to navigating the fog of disruption, but you mentioned the endurance ath athlete uh, aspect of your life. And I am always intrigued. Just uh, I'm we're as we're recording. I'm four weeks out from my first marathon, so I've been working. Ah, fantastic. Working towards I got canceled during the pandemic. Came back, got an injury, rescheduled. Like I'm getting there. I'm four weeks out. So, what do you do? What's your what kind of endurance sports are your your jam? Yes, well, Ironman, uh, long course Ironman racing. It's the you know one of the hardest endurance events. Uh, out there, it's a starts with a 2.4 mile open water swim, followed by 112 miles on the bike, followed immediately by a marathon. Massive respect. Those are those are crazy and impressive. I I have the half Ironman in my sights in the future. So and well, you should, especially with an with a marathon under your belt, because you also have the training discipline, the endurance, you know, and some some experience. For, you probably done other races if you're taking on a, uh, a marathon, but good for you. It's a, it's a wonderful um, community of, uh, of energetic people. It's a wonderful set of skills to learn. There's so much to learn in endurance athletics, no matter the sport, uh, the, the impact and benefit to your mindset and to your mental discipline for sticking with and finding that finish line 
is huge. Learning how to fuel yourself, the importance of recovery, doesn't matter if it's sports or business. You know, um, those are skills that we're not always taught in business, actually. Mm -hmm. It's very true. I, I have found so many of those applications that I, I just can't even imagine. Uh, how that must work for you, boy. Well, hey, listeners, that was uh, strictly for me. I wanted to find out a little bit more about uh, David's endurance athleticism. So th thanks for sticking with us through that. All right, David, let's talk about these six protocols for survival, stability, and success. So you start by encouraging us, inviting us to know our waypoint. What's a waypoint? What do you mean by that? To me, it's the truth. What's the truth of my situation? Where am I now? Rather than immediately react to a situation, take a moment, assess all the available metrics, you know, you, you, um, and find out where you're at. You know, you, you cruise into the fog on a, on a, on a vessel. And um, man, you know, what's around me in the fog? Are, are there um, other vessels coming behind and in front? How far away is the shoreline on each side of me or ahead of me? And am I moving towards it, away from it? You know, because you can't see visually, you don't know. So now you're, but you have a lot of information and things you can draw on, uh, maybe sounds. Um, you can hear when uh, when waves are washing on the shore, gosh, I'm, I'm getting pretty too close to the shore, right? You can hear bells on buoys that you may not be able to see the buoys. Uh, you can hear the engines of other ships. So there's a lot you can do um, and you should do to, to assess and really know where you are because you really can't discern the next best steps um, without the truth. And in business, I found that the, the tyranny of the quarterly earnings, you know, doesn't help with that question of what's my waypoint. My waypoint is I'm off my quarterly earnings. Oh, no. You know, rather than something else, which is a more important truth. So, um, uh, and, and we'll have a business culture. We'll have people around us who have their own agendas and they don't want that and their own truth. But as a leader, you have to get to the truth. You have to cut through it all as quickly and effectively as you can and get to the truth. And that's what I call know your waypoint. Where mm -hmm. am I really? What, what the circumstances for me have changed circumstances for uh, my industry, my competitors have changed. What's it look like now? Where am I now in that picture? Getting all the data that you can. And one of the things you mentioned in, in know your waypoint is to also understand or identify the kind of disruption that you're facing and you know you mentioned there are several different kinds i'm wondering what are some of the types of disruptions that we should be paying attention for as we're thinking well, about this I, there's two primary ones for sure uh one is the what i call sudden jolt disruption and the other is the slow leap okay <laughs> so a sudden jolt um a, a incredibly um sad and, and tragic event like 9 11. out of nowhere sudden jolt you know Boom, um, uh, airplanes unable to fly, uh, security unassured, um, economic turmoil and chaos. Uh, you know, that, that's a sudden jolt. You're just, you're not expecting it. You don't see it coming. Boom, okay. Um, a um, slow leak 
disruption. To me, COVID's been a slow disruption. It's unfolding, you know, Delta variant. This, you know, it's been an unfolding situation. Um, you can be, um, you can have a slow leak disruption, which is you, you're an old, uh, your brand loses relevance. Competitors outflank you. You didn't respond appropriately to market needs. Mm-hmm. That's a slow leak disruption. Uh, cha- you know, something changed. Uh, you headed down a, the wrong path and you knew it, but you doggedly kept going down that path. Slow leak disruption. I'm thinking of slow leak disruptions too, in terms of, uh, you know, an individual leader, the way you're leading your team, it's easy to get comfortable and start taking people for granted or not, you know, not showing up intentionally for the, the leadership work that you've got to do or thinking about the future of your team and the, the, your productivity and how all that works. Like those can be slow leaks too, as your environment or things are shifting or changing, but you're not. We're seeing that um, make itself quite visible in um, reports from organizations like McKinsey that say 42% of all employees are looking to jump ship. That's a lack of leadership. That's a failure of culture. That's imagine the billions of dollars of lost um, 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 uh, experience and uh, expertise in certain businesses and industries with that um, with yeah. what's occurring, people um, not wanting to stay on the courses they were at or with the businesses and uh, they were a part of. Conversely, as you're out and about and you visit an establishment that is fully staffed, what the culture is like there uh, and how that feels where they haven't had that 42% looking to jump ship, yeah. uh, it's remarkable. It is. And you know what I think that's all about? comes down to one key um, principle purpose, compelling purpose, compelling purpose aligns all interests, internal and external around the mission of your organization. It clarifies roles and, and co co-work and cooperation. And, uh, you know, it galvanizes action. It's, it, to me, it's a form of alchemy. And in a disruption, one of the other critically important things is revisit your purpose. Is it the right one? Is it clearly and compellingly communicated? Because those organizations you just spoke about, they have a shared purpose and they understand it clearly and they all buy into it clearly. And that is a self-motivating, self-energizing energizing, uh, form of momentum. And the more, the more clarity you have around what you are here to do, the, the easier it is to react, I imagine, to disruption because it's like, okay, so yes, this is all changed, but I know what we're here to do. So let's figure out how to do that in this, this yeah. environment, this change. Yeah, there's a commitment to, a commitment to continue, a commitment to overcome, commitment to innovate our way the heck through it, work our way through it, whatever it is. You know, I'll give you an, a brief example on an individual basis. Uh, there's an individual named Lewis Pugh. He's a endurance swimmer. He's uh, he is the UN patron of the oceans. He uh, believes that our oceans are key to the health of our climate, and in particular, the solar re- the polar regions. Ice, no life, no ice, no life. Okay, the polar regions are are the key to to it all. So Lewis undertook years ago um, the hardest swims ever undertaken. Um, 
he just completed the climate swim six miles across the face of the Aleutian Glacier in in uh, Iceland, mm. um, 32, uh, zero degrees Celsius uh, water, winds, sharp ice, uh, a human feat never done before and impossible to think of. And he did it. He trained for it. He's done other similar difficult swims. This was his hardest, but that's, that's, he's driven by purpose. He wants to call attention to his purpose. He wants to call resources to his purpose. And uh, so in the course of his swims, of course, it's all surrounded with good information about what's changing, what can be done, and how people can help. It's an amazing thing. It's one person. And uh, his purpose drives him through superhuman, you know, performance. Uh, uh, organizations, what, do they have a purpose strong enough to drive them through superhuman performance? All right. So know your waypoint. What is all the don't react, get the facts, including what kind of disruption you've got going on? Is it a slow leak or a sudden jolt? And know your purpose, know your values. What is that motivating element yeah. for you beyond yep. the, the disruption? All right. So next up, we're going to stay afloat, which is you know, rallying, making sure you've got the research, doing everything you can to, you know, and I, the the floating metaphor makes sense. We got to keep the ship on top of the water in order for yeah. it to go anywhere, right? Uh, so, from a business, obviously, that's managing your cash and and the fuel and, and putting yourself in the best situation to be able to to move forward. Number three is find your first first. Talk to us about what is your first first and how should that be motivating us as we're navigating through disruption? Uh, once um, I have these in the order that I truly believe they unfold and in my experience they have. So uh, once you, you have the truth, your waypoint, you're clear. Uh, once you um, have a strategy for staying afloat and that could be retaining my customers, it could be not losing my talent, pool in my business. Yeah, you know, there's, it could be cash. In many, many cases, it's the cash, uh, you know, assessing your situation there. But once all of that is in uh, addressed, now we're talking about moving forward. How do I start moving through this disruption? It takes a while to get out of it if it's a, if it's a slow leak, but you have to start moving, you know, um, do the opposite of nothing, be the opposite of helpless. It's my motto. So, but you got to do the right things first. So to me, um, finding your first first is about assessing that there's so many things that need to be done. So many quote unquote priorities. I like to say, what is the one thing that if you screw it up, upends, delays, or even ruins your chances of recovery? What is that one thing? And you have to work really hard to peel the onion to get down to the core of what is that one thing? But once you know what that is, you can organize the rest of your actions around it so that it is always, that topic is always in the center of the bullseye of your strategic plan. You know, David, can you give us an example of that? Sure. For the cruise industry, you would think that raising $30 billion was the first first in order to get through the pause and to fund the restart, but you wanna know what it really is? It really, the first first was to resume cruising without a recurrence of a COVID outbreak on a ship. 
That's the first first. And that's why gigantic science panels, huge investments in new tech for air purifying and other uh, different training, different protocols. That's the first first for the industry. Okay, we, we understand we're disrupted. We know where we are. We're on pause. We can't operate. Um, we know we need a ton of money. Okay, so all of that. So what do we need to focus on? Okay, the, the thing to focus on is how can we begin up? How can we restart without disruption? How can we restart without COVID stopping us in our tracks again? So mm. there's an example of, of, you know, getting to that first first. That was the core. And once they knew that, what tech is required, what regulatory um, um, challenges need to be overcome, what fears and concerns of consumers, et cetera. Such an interesting perspective there, because it's not a matter of how are we going to wait this out. It's how are we going to innovate our way through it and yeah. and say, okay, so let's say COVID isn't ever handled. We can handle it so that yeah. we're not we so we can get our customers back and they can enjoy the experience. And I would not have thought of that. That's a, a fascinating example. Safest, of uh, how do we become the safest places on earth? Beacons of health. I call it in the you know in my book. But yes, absolutely. That's uh, but that's you know you you're leading an organization. You have a uh, responsibility um, to uh, to come back uh, to for your employees, for your all your stakeholders, for the communities that are so dependent. You have a huge responsibility to find a way forward. And when you okay, that's great. So how do we do it? Well, we can only do it by starting to operate again. Okay, well, gosh, it's not just operate. We have to operate in a way that's bulletproof, as bulletproof as possible, that pe you know that uh, people can believe we're going to be there, that we're you know that they can book their trip with confidence. That uh, yeah, quite quite an interesting perspective. I agree. I love that the uh, you know the the there's so many takeaways here for leaders as you're listening to uh, to David relate these experiences. You know, whatever your sudden jolt or slow leak is that you're responding to and, and navigating your way through, you know, a way that I, I'm, this is how I'm drawing it out. The way to think about your first first is uh, that if this jolt or whatever these changes are were to happen again or continue on, that you've over, you, you haven't survived them. You've used them and pivoted as a source of advantage for your team that where you're coming out on top of that I'm, I'm struggling to find the right words but it's like it's the it's the energy it's the uh it becomes the stuff of our success as opposed to we're victims of it yeah you know i i wrote a poem and i have a line in the poem that that you know that where i say um my ship becomes the sea and i steer a new course to horizons once beyond my imagining and that was about you know, um, navigating disruption in my ship. And there was a point at which I became one with the disruption and a whole new world of possibilities opened up for me. And sometimes disruptions are so big that you can't overcome them. And what you have to do is, um, is find a way to be, to work with them, mm. to work with them, you know, to, to, and I think in a, in a lot of ways, that's, that's what you see the cruise industry. Uh, successfully doing in its restart. Gosh, so many good applications there. 
All right, so we'll keep going here. We're gonna get flexible next. Everything's changed, you should too. What does recovery look like? And uh, in the book, you you talk about, uh, one of the examples you share is Holland uh, uh, Cruises. Holland out. America Line. Yeah. Holland America Line after 9-11 and some of the changes and some of the flexibility that they exhibited. And uh, it was I, there were so many fun examples of flexibility. I think it'd be fun if you could share one or two of those with us. Indeed. Well, um, first uh, and always uh, safety of guests and crew. So whatever you were doing in the past, if it's not enough, you have to uh, address um, that and you have to be flexible enough to, I mean, we had uh, TSA and Coast Guard and every country around the world with its own new ideas about guest security, ship security, port security, and the like. So so that was an area of great flexibility for us. But more importantly, well, not more importantly, but also important um, was uh, the pulse of our guests, of our past customers and our prospective future customers. Where were they after 9-11 in terms of their mindset about travel and their preferences for travel? And certainly... There was a period where staying close at home was highly preferred uh, by leisure travelers and cruisers. We were a seven-continent cruise line. We're known for ships spanning the globe, faraway destinations, South America, Europe, Northern Europe, uh, the, the Asia Pacific. We're all over the place, right? And yet um, our core audience didn't really, wasn't ready to return in that way. So. Uh, we had to quickly um, redeploy massive vessels in capacity, redesign new itineraries, uh, you know, and new experiences closer to home within reach of our guests. Uh, this is when, if you were today to go around the North America um, coasts, you would find 27 ports of call from which major cruise ships operate at different seasons of the year. That was an outcome of 9-11 and this bring the ships closer to the people, bring the destinations closer to the people. Um, pricing and, um, and uh, uh, policies on cancellations and uh, refunds and flexibility to make changes were all ways uh, we had to address the situation. So I'm curious, you might have some some wisdom here for us as folks are listening to the the example that you just described and thinking about, and I, I know we have some listeners like this who, you know, they really are looking ahead and they really are looking around the corners and and starting to advocate for change in their organizations and and looking at the ways we can do things differently. And they're going to sometimes face resistance from maybe their own team, maybe colleagues, peers, maybe their own boss, perhaps. Any suggestions you have in terms of somebody who is looking ahead and doing that and facing some of that resistance to flexibility for folks that feel ah, it's comfortable to stay where we've been, that will help them to influence and bring people along with them? Sure. The first thing I would say is, if I'm not, uh, if my point of view isn't prevailing, if I'm not influencing to the degree, I think it's really important that I do so, then 
there's something missing in my communication. So the first thing I would say is, you know, strengthen uh, your case. Okay. The second thing, um, lead by doing. I, I mean, I'm a in my career, I've been known as leading from behind, leading from the front, leading from the middle. It's situa- leadership situational. It is. You know, there's times when you need to get down there and, and, and you need to be there helping push the rock up the hill. There's other times where you're the lever under the rock, you know. But uh, so be clear about um, situational leadership. And um, when people see you walking your talk, acting on your beliefs, making your vision real. Um, you know, I, I talked about that. I used this term before being a beacon. You know, there's, uh, there are lots of examples of beacons, North Stars and otherwise, but we can be a beacon also through our deeds and actions and our uh, resourcefulness. And we can encourage other people to be beacons. And when we get enough people we're beacons, the bright, the light is shining bright enough that others can start to see it. And it kind of works that way. Kind of, um, I, I think of concentric circles, rings of influence, but you have to, you have to start those concentric rings with a huge amount of personal energy and commitment. It's like when you throw a rock in a pond, the most energy of the moment that you can see those rings go for a long time, but the most energy is when that rock hits the water. You're that. You are that. You have to create that ripple effect uh, if you want to. And it's back um, to the the patience and discipline that you were talking about earlier, yeah. right? Of yeah. uh, it's you know being the change yourself, but then influencing a person at a time and building the momentum. That that's it, it is rare that it ever happens where you just show up, make a speech, and then everything changes overnight. Yes. That's just not how it works. Make that speech about a hundred times, and and, and they. <laughs> And your audience might finally have heard the first one. <laughs> and and you heard it right here. That is actually how it works. All right. David, take us to n- number five. I've, I've been very excited to talk to you about this because it's a concept we have not talked about on the show at all. So your protocol here is become collision proof, but you subtitle it, how do you make yourself anti-fragile? And anti-fragility is a concept I love. And it hit me in the head when, when I read it. I was like, we have not talked about that yet. So let's talk about oh, good. anti-fragility. What is it and how do we get there? Well, um, what it is, uh, um, is in my view, creating a tough skin. Okay. And um, as you move through change and disruption over time. so. The cruise industry is um, global. It is more dependent on fair seas and good weather almost than any other industry in order for everything to go right. Everything is interconnected in delivering an unforgettable vacation experience on a remote smart city somewhere in the world. It's it's quite challenging and therefore, uh, and because of the, the great you know, the risk is diversified now with a global reach, but always somewhere in the world, something is occurring that's going to disrupt operations. Um, So uh, having a mindset that I know I'm going to be disrupted, it's only a question of where, when, and how bad. That starts to create an 
you know, uh, a way of doing business, preparing your teams, your playbooks, your, you know, your operating procedures, et cetera, for um, the reality of change, whether it be um, externally um, generated or internally generated. So, so that's one form of anti-fragility. Always learn the lessons of the past. I always recommend after disruption to do a postmortem. Let's play this thing back from the beginning to now where we stand. What did we do right? What did we do that didn't work as well? What did we do wrong that slowed us down? You know, what did others do? What are the lessons? How do we codify that in our training, in our perspective as a company? That's a form of anti-fragility in my view. Um, practices, mindset. Um, and uh, I think the, the other thing for me is that's really important is the risk management side of this. Most companies have a risk management. Well, I shouldn't say most. Many companies have a risk management mindset where they have an eye towards um, risks um, in the various operating um, elements of their company. And uh, they take measures to mitigate those risks. You can't prevent, you can't avoid all risks. Stuff's going to happen. But you can mitigate um, the, uh, the impact that a risk has on you if you've identified it in advance and done some preparation for it. You could possibly even prevent it from happening. Um, but um, I think when disruption happens, there's a new set of risks that emerge. So you could have your your um, your risk plan in place, and not see that because of these changes that have, that are occurring, there's some new risks on the horizon. So you have to always be looking for okay, what else? What else? What else? You know, and mitigate for it. In the cruise industry, as in other transportation, I, I give a story in in the book about the, a terrible airline accident where a um, Incident response plan plays an enormous role in dealing with, you know, large-scale um, disastrous disruptions. Uh, having a incident response plan in place that's built on past experience and that looks forward at the same time is a form of anti-fragility. So, I recommend to companies, you know, you're th th you're Expect disruption, um, prepare for it, incident response, response plan, identify risk and do what you can to mitigate risk. All of those things help make you what I call collision proof. Collision proof. And as, as a leader, that as you're investing and cultivating other leaders in your organization, that you are helping them develop that mindset and those skills themselves, and that's another form of anti-fragility is the more ownership that people have and the more those skill sets are distributed, the better the organization is able to respond to. And that's whether that is just your team or you're the CEO of a, of a global, global firm. And I had the opportunity in my career to work for a gentleman who was regarded as the toughest and most successful CEO in the global cruise industry. Tough-minded. Uh, no nonsense. And uh, he taught me a valuable lesson. Uh, you know, the successes are to be celebrated. 
you know, that certainly they should have been planned for, or you weren't doing your job, but you planned, you you achieved, good for you. But you know what? The 80% of the focus here needs to be on what we didn't achieve and why. Where did we not fill shifts? Where did we not deliver the customer experience? Where did we not achieve um, operational consistency? That's the place I want you looking. That's where I want you and your team. That's that's where the resources of our company have to be primarily focused is where we're falling short and how do we close that gap over and over and over again. A lot of companies get um, caught up in the, you know, the good news, the celebration, and that's all good. It's important. But even more important is where did we fall short of expectation for our guests, for our employees, for our uh, stake- other stakeholders, for our communities? And no matter what industry you're in, that process of always looking at how you can better serve and better yeah. implement and, and not getting comfortable or complacent about whatever you did that worked last time. Indeed. All right. So, David, uh, I have one or two more questions for you, but tell us where we can find you, where we can connect with you, find out more about your book. Oh, thank you. I'll get these links into the show notes, but go ahead and tell us where we might look. DavidGearsdorf.com. All one word, DavidGearsdorf.com. I'm active on LinkedIn. Um, So you can find me, David Gearsdorf, on LinkedIn. See my posts, articles I've written, some my perspective about the industry. Uh, you can find the book on Amazon. Two words, hardships. Uh, Amazon keeps wanting to turn it into one word, so you have to. I'm, I'm you might sure have to they go do. back and forth a couple times, but that's uh, those are good ways to get a hold of me. Well, and find as me. always, what an opportunity you have here to connect with somebody like David on LinkedIn. Uh, that you know that those opportunities didn't exist the way they do today. Uh, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, for so many of us. And so take advantage of that. And and I hope when you reach out to David, you'll tell him that you heard him on the on the show and say, hey, Fantastic. you want to connect. So uh, David, as we are wrapping up, one of the metaphors that uh, you use and taking us back to the ocean is, and talking about being collision proof and, and so on, is that often it is safer for a ship to ride out a storm at sea as opposed to being docked. And so I guess let's start there for those, those of us that are from, you know, the middle of the, the continents. Why is that? Well, uh, winds and waves um, will move your ship. It'll be very hard to maintain steerage and um, position in severe uh, conditions like uh, a, a severe storm. So um, you're always mindful in a ship of not being washed ashore. Uh, when you're in a harbor, sometimes the maneuvering room and the risk of being washed, not holding anchor or moorage and being washed ashore is high. And in fact, you are safer and better served to head into the storm, to go out there where you have room to um, maintain heading. Uh, position and um, not worry about being dashed ashore. So there are times and there are severities of storms where I suggest that you might think about, am I better to hunker down here where I, 
in safe harbor? Or is there actually more risk here than heading out and engaging with the storm? And, uh, and, and using the, and, and this is personal experience you know, you mentioned in the book that you've personally gone through a couple of cyclones or hurricanes and yeah, so it's, that's lived experience, uh, advice there. So the, uh, I hope the leadership metaphor without belaboring it is clear for everyone, you know, going back to the becoming one with the opportunity and the storm here that those disruptions, uh, provide for us. So David, the, the last question I'd like to close with here as we bring our time to an end uh, when you think about navigating disruption and look at your career and as you learn these lessons, if you had to take one of all of the elements that you've shared with, or maybe it's something else, that if you could go back and get it to yourself earlier, what would be the one most important that you wish you could have learned earlier? Uh, and by extension, I think that's the one I'm also going to recommend all of our listeners take a hold of first. Is it? Oh, great. This may sound odd to you, but giving over control blindly would be something <laughs> I, I wish I had known earlier in my life when uh, my family had an opportunity to sell its business, you know, after 15 years of sweat and labor to uh, a very large company, we were starstruck. We didn't anticipate all the um, possibilities. Uh, we maintained a minority share, so we didn't have a control voice, and we didn't have clauses in the agreement that maintained and recognized the importance of our point of view and perspective in uh, ensuring the success of the business. So we found ourselves at the mercy of others who didn't know our business and who had all the control, and uh, I'll never do that again. All right. That's powerful. That is powerful. All right. So give over control. That is our final lesson today. And so, David, thank you so much. We've been talking to David Gearsdorf, the author of Hardships, former CEO, Cruise Industry. So much, uh, so value your time and wisdom and expertise here. Thank you for being a guest with us. Uh, and uh, we will be following up and connecting with you all over the place as we go forward. Thank you, David. It's been an honor, David. Onward. All right and you're on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.